preparing for Christmas, putting up lights, decorating a tree, baking cookies. It was never really my thing. But after the Corona coaster that we have been on all year long, plus everything else that 2020 threw our way, I was just, I was just looking for a little good old fashioned holiday cheer and fast. You know, it's strange. For all this talk of cheer and tis the season to be jolly, it's like the holidays are the time that bring out the ugliness in all of us. And I'm not just talking about Uncle Marvin's sweater. I mean, that thing is nasty, but no, I'm talking about the way we speak and the way we talk and the way we treat one another. That's ugly. I mean, it is pretty ridiculous the amount of time that I spend adjusting my camera to feel what? 5% more confident on Zoom? or throwing up a virtual background so that nobody can see the disaster area that is my living room behind me. But still, the way that I think about myself and my home and my family are not spreading any joy to the world. And my words, wow. I mean, if someone found a way to track everything that I have said while I was on mute or log all of the comments that I have made about every sanitizer stockpiling, toilet paper hoarding, mask below your nose, snorkeling person I come in contact with. Sorry. See? We have an ugliness problem on our hands. But for a weary world, there is rejoicing because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I'm looking at you, 2021. But seriously, for all the messiness that is our motives and the ugliness that is our words and actions, the good news that Jesus entered into all of that muck and made it beautiful is pretty amazing. So, friend, you are in good company. Put your boots on, bundle up, and let's go get into our ugly. Welcome everybody to our Christmas series, Ugly Christmas Sweaters. I see that some of you have yours on at our campuses. Hopefully you have yours on at home or wherever you happen to be joining us right now. I decided to wear my spiffy uh, Christmas sports coat out of popular demand. It was such a hit that I thought I'd wear it again, but I'm not gonna keep it on very long because I don't wanna make you go blind. Now, in our series, we've been talking about some ugly things. So far, we talked about ugly thoughts. And I hope this week you had an opportunity to start changing your thoughts to be thoughts that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and uh, thoughts that will allow you then to live and behave in a way that will be a gift to God, a gift to yourself, and a gift to others. Because when our thoughts change, our whole life begins to change. This weekend, we're going to talk about ugly words, which raises the question, what, do, what is an ugly word? What do we mean by an ugly word? Well, if you go to babble.com, you will discover that there are some really ugly words in the English language. And I thought I'd share a couple of them with you. For instance, take the word phlegm. All right, let's all say it together wherever you are right now. Phlegm. Some of you know a lot about that right now, maybe because of how you feel. It's an ugly sounding word. It conjures up pictures of this excessive gluey, gooey stuff that accumulates in your respiratory tract and... Well, it's just no fun, right? Phlegm is an ugly word. Or how about this word? How about the word crepuscular? 
crepuscular. Say that, crepuscular. There's just something ugly about it. I think it's this part in there that pus, you know, it, it sounds like something you would go to Dr. Pimple Popper to take care of, right? But crepuscular actually means twilight. So it's a very different meaning than the way it sounds. Or how about this ugly word, pulchritude, pulchritude. Now, pulchritude sounds like something your kid might have when they don't like what you've asked them to do. Or it sounds like something you might put in your garden to help everything grow, pulchritude. But did you know that pulchritude actually means beautiful? Very different meaning than how it sounds. Sounds ugly, but it has a beautiful meaning. So next time you see somebody you love and care about, just say, you are so pulchritude. And uh, see how they respond to that. How about this word? How about the word puce? Now, when I hear the word puce, it's like, it sounds like you're going to spit, right? Puce. A puce describes something as really dark brown or red. So those are some ugly words. There are more, but obviously... That's not what we're talking about this weekend. The kind of ugly words that we're referring to are those words that we use to cause hurt in the hearts and lives of other people when we use our tongue in wrong kinds of ways. You know that saying, don't you? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I've told you many times it is not a true statement. In fact, I think the best way to put that statement is sticks and stones may break my bones and names will break my heart. I wonder how many of you have had your heart broken by an unkind or mean word this past week or maybe even right now, this day that you're watching me share this message with you. And I am sure, in fact, I'm 100% positive that every one of us at some point in our life, again, perhaps this week, perhaps this day, have said a mean word, maybe to our spouse, maybe to our kids, maybe to our parents, maybe to a neighbor, maybe to a peer, maybe to a friend. Those words have been hurtful. You know, you don't have to just sound out the words. You can email those words. You can text those words, right? There are a lot of ways that those words come out. And our words really are our thoughts with clothes on. That's how I like to think of them. They're giving birth to our thoughts. So when we speak, people actually see, right, what we're and, and hear what we're thinking. The Bible has a lot to say about the words that we speak. In fact, there's a passage of Scripture, the book of James picks this up, and we're going to look at some of the verses in James chapter 3. I want to encourage you to read the entire passage on your own. You'll find it very helpful. Before we get into that, I am going to take this jacket off and put it away so that you can see the Scriptures instead of me. All right? So here we go. James chapter 3. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those 
who have been made in the image of God. Just kind of keep that verse in mind. We'll come back to it in a few moments, all right? And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. James chapter 3. This is not right. Now, it's not our physical tongue that's the problem. It's our mind and it's our heart that uses that tongue to unleash those thoughts and unleash those ideas that come out. And to make this even more important, think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He said, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak, every careless word you speak. You have to give an account for, he says, on judgment day. Man, I mean, that is, that is serious. This tongue business, this, this word business, this speaking business is so very important. I did a little bit of a background check and I discovered that on average, every year, you ready for this? Every year we speak about 11 million words. That's a lot. Now, some may exceed that a little bit. Some of us may come below that a little bit. But on average, 11 million words every year. That means by the time you're age 65, it's something like 715 million words that you will have spoken. And the question becomes, how many of those words were careless, were foolish, were painful, were hurtful in somebody's life. So as we start to unpack this together and figure out how to overcome ugly words, how to literally change what we say to people and keep working on making that change in our lives, I want you to write something down. I, I put it in a very personal way so you can own it. And that's simply this. I want you to write down, my words are powerful and matter a lot. In fact, wherever you are, whether you're by yourself watching us right now in your living room, your apartment, or you're with your family or friends or at one of our campuses, let's just say it out loud together. Ready? My words are powerful and matter a lot. And that's a really serious deal. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 18. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences, depending on whether we're speaking words of death or speaking words of life. Again, right? But words can break my heart. So our, our words are powerful, powerful instruments, and we want to be so very careful with them. You know, sometimes we're kind of careless with our words. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll say something that's sarcastic or hurtful, and then we kind of, we laugh it off. We're like, oh, I didn't really mean that, or oh, don't take it seriously. Oh, I'm just joking around. But it's no joke. It's no joke. God doesn't think it's a joke. It matters to God what we say to others. And, you know, the question is, why does that matter so much to God? Remember I said, remember this phrase that we were reading back in James a few minutes ago? We've all been created in the image of God. We are imagers of God. Well, God takes this pretty serious when we say things to others that are hurtful because what we're literally doing is we're talking down to, we're insulting, we're cursing, we're hurting his creation with our words. It's like, it's like we're saying it about him because he's the one that created us. Have you ever uh, created something? Maybe it was, 
you know, you baked something or it's a dinner that you made or something that you built or something that you drew or something that you painted and you're very proud of it and somebody came along and they criticized it or they made fun of it or they pointed out all the things that were wrong with it. Remember how that made you feel? Made you feel sad, didn't it? Made you feel um, like you didn't have any value or worth. It, it, it hurt your feelings because this was, you know, this was kind of an extension of you. You put your heart and soul into it. I remember a lot of years ago, Marsha, my wife, painted uh, in watercolor some beautiful flowers. And then she um, framed them and sent them to my mom. I delivered them to my mom. My mom opened them up and she didn't have quite the response that, you know, I thought she might have had. She kind of looked at it with a kind of a quizzical look on her face, a wrinkled brow. And then finally she said to me, she said, I, I, I don't know what happened, Dale, but but look at these pictures that have been water damaged. Seriously, that's what she said. And so then I had to try to explain to her, Mom, uh, this hasn't been water damaged. This is, this is an artwork called Water Colors. And she just kind of looked at me like, you've got to be kidding. Well, then, of course, Marsha wanted to know what my mom thought about her painting that she had done or a couple of paintings that she'd done and sent to my mom. And then I had to break the news to Marsha that my mom is not an art kind of a person, doesn't necessarily appreciate art, and that she thought it had been damaged by water. Now, my mom meant no harm and my wife could handle it, but it was still kind of hurtful, right? Because she spent a lot of time on that and then to have someone think, oh, look, this got water damaged. Well, that's how God feels when we insult his creation, when we insult or hurt each other, which kind of brings me to an issue that is prevalent in our culture these days, and I'm kind of concerned about it, and that is the use of sarcasm and uh, insults that we kind of hurl at each other, and we do it, quote, in fun. You know, I got to tell you what, this, this message has been one of the most convicting messages that I preached to myself in a long time. It's like on every page of my manuscript, I had to stop and repent. So I'm talking to me as much as anybody else, but you know, it's kind of a, a fad in our culture. In fact, if you watch sitcoms, line after line just seems like to be one insult uh, after another, and everybody kind of laughs about it, but it's not, it's not a laughing matter. But can you imagine Jesus doing that with his followers? Think of who Jesus is. Can you imagine him insulting them or being sarcastic with them or, or teasing and calling them, you know, rude names or putting them down? And I mean, do you think around the campfire, they were all kind of hurling insults at each other to see who could get the best on the other person? I don't think so. I mean, Jesus could confront them. <clears throat> he could correct them. He could call out sin in their life, but he loved them and he, and he cared for them. They were his creation. He was shaping and molding their lives and he wanted to use his words to edify them and to grow them, so to speak, as, as a result of it. You know, we've been in a nasty season this past year, a couple of years, where there's just been a lot of nasty talk, especially in the political arena. You know what? That has a way of rubbing off on all of us, all of us. When our leaders speak in just rude, crude, and wrong ways, it, it, you know, kind of seeps into our life. And, you know, people on all sides of the, of the aisle have been involved in this. And, you know, I worry sometimes that as believers, we're losing our witness because we kind of get caught up in those camps. And then what happens is we start kind of justifying in our mind our ability or our right to 
uh, say things, nasty things about others because they're on the opposite side of an issue. And it may, it may be an issue we feel passionately about. It may be the difference between right and wrong, moral and immoral. But listen, nothing ever justifies us to use our words, to say things about God's creation, about his imagers that are insulting and downgrading we can't use our, our tongues like little barbs to cause pain and hurt, even though that's why it might be what we want to do. We've got to hold that back because, you see, I can't curse you. I can't speak severe words against you and at the same time be a witness to you for Christ. So I'm going to be a witness for Christ. I've got to measure my words. Words matter a lot. And I know a lot of times, you know, we get angry and want to take vengeance on, on what people have said or what people have done to us. But I want to remind you, in these days, especially right now, when there's just so much anger and hatred and, and so much is being said that is so, so evil and so mean. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 12? He said, dear friends, never take revenge. Never take revenge with your fists, with your sword, with your gun, or with your tongue. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. God's saying, I see everything. And in the end, I'll deal with it. You don't deal with it. Paul goes on, he says, instead, look, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. So what Paul is saying is when they dish out evil towards you, you heap on them good with your words, with your actions, with your prayers, with your attitude. Because they desperately need God. They desperately need Jesus. And if they're a believer, they desperately need to live the Christian life in a better way. And you get to model that. But if we sling mud like they're slinging mud, we're of no witnesses, no value to the Lord. So the question becomes, how, how do we overcome the misuse of our words? How do we overcome this ugly word thing in our life? And I've got several principles that I want to walk through with you and share with you along that line. Uh, but before I do that, let me just remind you something important. When we misuse our tongue, we're not just hurting others, okay? But we're also hurting ourselves. When I misuse my tongue, what I'm doing is, is I'm damaging my character. I'm damaging my witness for Christ. And thirdly, I'm involved then in degrading one who's been made in the image of God. So our tongue hurts others, yes, big time, but, but it also hurts us. So how do we get past this? Principle number one, you might want to jot it down. Practice speaking words that bless instead of words that beleaguer or wear down or bear down on others, all right? Bless, not beleaguer, all right? Look at the scriptures say. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. See? Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Matthew chapter 5. Now the passage of scripture we have, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, 
Boy, that's talking about strong imagery, right? But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the question I have to ask myself is, is my, you know, are my words like a sword that's thrusting into somebody or do my words pour out as like a healing balm in people's lives? You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, he spoke words that blessed. He spoke, he spoke words that added value. He spoke words that healed. He spoke words that forgave. He, spelt, he spoke words that encouraged. He spoke words that were beautiful. Yeah, there were times when Jesus spoke some really harsh, rough words, like when he was confronting the Pharisees. But he had every right to do that because he's God. And they were abusing his children. But if you look at the words of Jesus, by and large, throughout the New Testament, they're uplifting words. Now, Jesus, when he spoke, always spoke the truth. And when he spoke that truth, it was strong sometimes. It was like drawing a line in the sand. I mean, he did not compromise, right? He would speak the truth. He'd put it right out there about sin and, and things that people need to repent of. But he always did it with a spirit of love and compassion. One of the examples that comes to my mind is the Gospel of Mark. I think it's chapter 10. It's the, story, it's the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, go and sell all your possessions, get the money to the poor, seek your treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. What a great invitation, huh? Come, become one of my disciples. Number 13. And it says that the rich young ruler could not part with his possessions. Jesus laid the truth on the line. And the rich young ruler walked away. But what's interesting in that passage of Mark is it says that Jesus loved him, cared about him. So you can speak truth. You can disagree with somebody. You can even point out that their views or their attitude is, is wrong or that, or that it disagrees with what the scripture says. You can do all that, but you don't have to shout. You don't have to wave your fist in their face. You don't have to call the names. You don't have to degrade them. You can speak the truth firmly, factually, but you want to do it with a spirit of love because you're trying to win them over to Christ. How are you doing in that area? Are your words to your spouse, your kids, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, fellow church members, are they words? Are they emails? Are they texts? A blessing? Are you beleaguering? Are you bringing people down? Are you judging people? Are you weighing them down? Let God deal with the revenge peace. Speak the truth in love. Number two, all right? Practice speaking words that focus on goodness and not gossip. On goodness and not gossip. Somebody has said that just like you cannot unscramble an egg, you can't unscramble gossip. This is really hard once it leaves our mouth. Look at the scriptures say. A gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Another passage of scripture puts it this way. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. There just can't be any room for for gossip in our lives. You know, if you can't speak something good to someone, don't say anything to the, about them. 
If you need to go and talk to somebody about an issue, go to them and talk about it, but don't go around them and talk to somebody else about it and bring them into it. Don't destroy their lives by your words. One of my favorite jokes is about three pastors. I probably shared this with you before, but it's worth telling again. Three pastors who went out fishing one day and the action was slow and they're kind of just sitting on the water in the boat and they'd known each other for quite a while. And one of them finally says, guys, I just, you know, I've been with you guys for a long time. I feel like I could be honest with you. I need to let you know that I've got a problem. Every Sunday after the offering is collected, I, I lift a few bills and put it in my pocket to kind of just, you know, help me you know, get ahead a little bit. And I just, it's just a horrible, horrible sin. And I, I've asked God to forgive me. And I just wanted you guys to know that. And both the other guys are like, wow, that's heavy. Thanks for sharing that. The next guy decides he's going to be vulnerable. And he goes, guys, let's be honest with you. I just have a real problem with lust. I mean, it is, it is an issue for me. I wrestle with it so much. And I'm just being, I'm bearing my soul to you guys too. And then the third guy finally speaks up and he says, listen, you guys are being honest and open. I might as well be too. He says, guys, I have such a problem with gossip and I can't wait to go home and tell everybody what you've told me. All right, we don't want to fall into that trap, right? No room for gossip. Next principle. Practice speaking sincerely, honestly, sincerely, okay? Look at a passage of scripture. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let it be gracious. Let it be attractive. Let it be real. Let it be sincere. Let it be honest. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books, tells a story about President Theodore Roosevelt. And we're not sure if this story is true and accurate or if it is not. So you have to kind of take it as it is. But it's got a powerful lesson in it. The word is that Theodore Roosevelt uh, didn't like uh, state functions where lots of people would show up because he found that the conversation was so banal. It was so vacuous. People just spoke, their heads disengaged, their heart, you know, one of those things where you say what you're supposed to say, but you don't mean it. And so he decided to change things up once at a state ball. You know, people were in line, going by, shaking his hand, saying, nice to see you, Mr. President. You look good, Mr. President. You're doing a great job, Mr. President. And of course, he would always go, thank you. And oh, it's good to see you again. And how's your wife doing? And, and so he changed it up. And he started saying to people as they would walk by, I killed my grandmother this morning. So somebody would shake hands and say, it's good to see you, Mr. President. And he would go, thank you, I killed my grandmother this morning. And they'd just walk by. The next person would come along, Mr. President, you're doing such a great job. And he would say, thank you, I killed my grandmother this morning. And this just kept going on according to the story. And, and people were just responding like, you know, it's good to see you, you're doing a great job, everything's great. But one diplomat actually listened to what President Roosevelt said. He shook hands and he heard the president say, oh, it's good to see you, I killed my grandmother this morning. And the diplomat stopped and he leaned into Roosevelt's ear and he said, well, sir, she must have had it coming. Here's the point, all right? When you tell somebody something, mean what you say. And how often we are insincere in what we say. Hey, I'll be praying for you. We don't pray for them. Or we'll say, hey, if you need something, call me. And then we hope they don't call us. Or I don't mind being the last person here. Sure, I'll put the stuff away. I'll pick it all up. And then we resent being the last person there. There's so many things that we just say because it's the right thing to say, but we don't mean it. Our heads and our hearts are totally disengaged. 
every word that comes out of us should be measured and calculated. And we should ask ourselves, do I mean what I'm about to say? The commitment I'm about to make, the promise, the pledge I'm about to speak, I'm about to text, I'm about to email those words. Do I mean that? Let's make sure our speech is sincere. All right, next principle. Practice the use of clean words. Practice the use of clean words. Look what the scripture says. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be what? Be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. To your spouse, to your parents, to your kids, to your friends, to your boss, to your co-workers, to your fellow church members, make sure it's good, it's helpful, and it's encouraging. I remember when I was a young boy, I spoke the native language fluently on the mission field, and I was playing with some other kids, and this is the only reason why I remember this. I, I called one of the kids a dirty name. Now, how you define dirty, who, you know, I guess it's up to the person listening, all right? I didn't think it was such a foul name, but my mom heard about that, and it really upset her, and she grabbed me and literally put me in a headlock, marched me over a tin basin, and took the nastiest soap on earth and stuck it in and out of my mouth several times. That's why I will never forget that moment, and I never use that word again, at least not around her, all right? But, you know, clean speech, uplifting speech, speech that edifies, helps, and encourages. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to get into a habit of just using foul language. Some of us, you know, maybe we grew up in an environment where we heard cursing, our parents curse or swore. And, you know, when you hear that your whole life, it's easy for that to become part of your own language. But remember who we represent now. We represent Christ. And so, you know, this is an area in all of our lives, I'm guessing, we need to work on. All right? Another principle here, practice speaking words of truth. Practice speaking words of truth. Look what the scripture says. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Don't lie to each other. Let's look at another passage of scripture. Instead, we will speak, so it's a decision, right? Instead, we will speak the truth in what? In love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So there's the key. I'm I'm making all these changes in how I speak because I'm growing in the character of Christ. I'm learning to speak as Christ would speak, who is the head of his body, the church. And all of us as individuals are part of that church. So when I speak, I represent Christ. And the Bible makes it so clear that God God hates lying. Why does God, I almost choked on my words, why does God hate lying so much? Because it's the original sin. It's what the, it's what the serpent did in the garden. He lied. And so every time we lie, think about it, what are we doing? We're deceiving somebody with our lie. And so that's why it's reprehensible to God. And, you know, for some people, lying can become addictive. It can become a habit. You know, lying is one of those things you do it once and then you got to, like, do another one to kind of hide the one you just did and it gets layered and eventually your sins find you out. It's just best to make up our mind. We're always going to speak the truth. And when it's, a, when it's a hard truth, like the Scripture says, we're going to learn to do it in a spirit of love. All right, let's review what we've learned about 
getting rid of our ugly words. Here we go. Ready? Practice speaking words that bless instead of words that beleaguer. Practice speaking words that focus on goodness and not gossip. Practice speaking sincerely. Practice the use of clean words. And finally, practice speaking words of truth. Now, I want to give you a little tool to help you with this. It's by a pastor. His name is Alan Redpath. And uh, he practiced this in his own life and taught his own congregation this little, this little tool. It's especially helpful when you find yourself in a difficult situation, all right, or dealing with something controversial. It'll help you process before you speak. But it's just a great tool and maybe a good way to kind of summarize everything we've said. Here it is. Ready? Think. Now, T stands for, is it true? Before I speak about this, is it true? H, is it helpful? We just saw that in the scriptures. Is what I'm about to say helpful? I, is it inspiring? Will it inspire people? N, is it necessary? Is this necessary? And K, is it kind? Is it kind? I hope you'll write those down. Maybe even write it on your palm, all right? Keep it on your phone or someplace where you see it so that, listen, could we all try this? Could we all start thinking before we speak? Will you think before you speak? That's what God calls us to do. Now, if you didn't get a chance to get all these notes down, you can watch it again online or I'll ask them to post it online next week so you have these notes because it's an important deal. And one of the ways we can give a great gift this Christmas is by changing what we say and how we say it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for loving us. And Lord, I am sure for all of us, as we've heard this message, we've been convicted in some arena of our life of something we need to change in our lives, oh God, to better reflect who you are. So Lord, I pray, speak to our hearts. Show us an area in our, in our speaking that you want us to refine, that you want us to change. Perhaps, Lord, there's some words that we have spoken that we need to repent of and express sorrow for and seek forgiveness for. Lord, I pray that we would be quick to do that. What a gift that would be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's our opportunity now to celebrate Holy Communion together. And you know, there's something unique this weekend as we take communion. And that is, we get to use words. Now, unless you're alone, you probably can't do this audibly, but you can do it in your mind and kind of hear your voice in your mind. I want to ask you on the basis of what we have looked at this weekend or any other issue in your life that God has kind of put his finger on and says, this is something you need to repent of. This is something you need to change. I want to encourage you to confess that. See, that's a way of speaking. Confess it to God. Maybe you've been struggling with gossip. Confess it to God. Maybe you have a, a tongue that's like a sword that just thrusts. It's, you know, 
You've been sharp with your words. You've been cursing. You've been judgmental. You've been sarcastic. Confess it. Ask God to forgive you. Maybe your words have been belittling. You think they're funny, but they're not. Ask God to forgive you. Perhaps you've spoken meanly to your spouse, your kids, your friends, a loved one. Ask God to forgive you. He wants to. So before we partake of communion, just bow your heads for a moment and ask God, Lord, is there something that you want to hear from my lips that I want to confess to you? Go ahead and do that. Amen. Well, listen, communion is the assurance that God forgives us of our sins. And so you hopefully have your communion ready and there with you. Here at the campuses, we use this little package. It's got the bread and, and the juice combined. What I'd like to ask you to do is start with me by just tearing off that top section and taking out that little wafer. The wafer represents the body of Jesus that was given for you and for me. Take this bread or the bread that you have and eat it. The cup represents his blood that was shed for you and me. This is the cleansing. This is the forgiveness of sins. This is taking all that stuff we've said. You know those 11 million words? This is God wiping the slate clean for us. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Take the cup. Let me give you a few moments to meditate on what you've just done and to thank God for his forgiveness and commit to him to using your tongue to speak words of affirmation truth. Father, thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that we can start afresh as we begin this week. From this moment on, Lord, change our words. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.